All right, so I'm not exactly sure, but I think tonight may be the last night in Exodus. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the rest. I mean, I've, I've read through it before, and I've read through it before the last couple of weeks. There are a couple things we may can hit on, but from chapter 35 all the way to the end of the book of Exodus, it's pretty much just telling us word for word how Moses implemented what God told him to do regarding the tabernacle and the furniture and the altars and all that, all that kind of stuff. It goes through basically the actual building of the furnishings and the tabernacle. And it's almost the exact same language that we, that we looked at when he was giving the instructions. So all the exact same things that God said to Moses on the mountain, you'll build it out of this kind of wood, and you'll build it this high, and you'll build it this wide. It says, and Moses built it out of this kind of wood, and he built it this high. and he So it's basically the same language. And so if you want... We can go through all that again, and we can talk about what the altar of incense is for, and we can talk about the... Susan said, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but it's basically, it's basically just Moses and Israel obeying what God commanded in the building of these things. And at the very end of Exodus, it says when the, when the tabernacle was complete, uh, the glory of the Lord came down onto the tabernacle the, in, in a cloud, and Moses wasn't able to go in because the glory was uh, there. And it says, whenever the glory of the glory of God departed from the tabernacle, they set off in, on their journey. And whenever the glory cloud came down on the tabernacle, they would stop and wait until God told them to leave. So, being that it's almost the exact same language, we probably can just you want to learn about the rest of those chapters, you can just go back and listen to how we took all those apart in the instructions for building the tabernacle. So tonight, I want to look at the end of chapter 34, and I want to kind of, this, this really, in a real sense, it brings kind of Exodus to a close, and then after this, Moses tells them, you know, this is what we're going to do, we build all this stuff. So we've been at the base of Mount Sinai for quite a long time now as we've been walking through Exodus. So the people do not leave Mount Sinai in Exodus. That's later for uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy and all that as they're going in their 40-year journey to the wilderness after they refuse to go in the Promised Land. Um, we've been here for some time, and Moses has been on the mountain with God, and he's come back down, then he's gone back up, and then he's come back down. He, he's done that several times. But during this last encounter, if you were here the last three weeks or so, we've been talking about it pretty much, you know, myself, Matt, and uh, Evan talked about it. During this last encounter with God on the mountain, Moses was there, again, interceding for the people. Remember, he was asking for forgiveness again. He was, we saw last week that God actually restored the covenant with his people, the Mosaic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant with his people. Uh, he told Moses to remake the tablets of stone. Remember what happened to the tablets of stone? Moses threw them on the ground when he got there and they were worshiping the golden calf. And God restated his promise to Moses in the uh, earlier part of chapter 34 
uh, promised to bring the people into the land, to drive out all the people before them. He restated uh, some of the commands of the covenant that we've walked through in all of these chapters before this. And we asked the question last week, why did God restate some commands and not all the commands, not the other commands if he's restating the covenant? Do you remember that? Remember the answer? Remember the reason? The commands that he restated? Oh, come on. Some of y'all were here. So the commands that he restated were the ones that would keep Israel from the same kind of idolatry that they just fell into with the golden calf. Remember? Keeping patterns of worship. Patterns of worship. Yeah. Regular patterns of the Sabbath. Keep God first and best of all. Those are the three things he told them to do. What did he tell them not to do? Not to make covenant with any of the people in the land. What else? Not to intermarry with the people of the land. What else? Take them out. Well, that's true. Drive them out. But he also told them to tear down all their altars, tear down all of their worship sites, don't leave them in the land. If you remember the reason why he told them to do that, he explicitly says, because it will become a snare to you. It will become a snare to you. You will worship their gods. When you intermarry with them, their, the, their daughters will bring idolatry into your sons and, and all of these reasons. So it was all about the, the, all of the commands of the Sinai covenant were now restored and enforced after the people were forgiven for their idolatry, their breaking of the covenant. But the commands that he... Um, specifically repeated were specifically the ones that they needed reminded of so when they got to the land they wouldn't fall into the same kind of idolatry that they just did with the golden calf. And so in verse 27 is where we left off. He told Moses to write these words down for the people. Now as we begin in verse 28 we're told that Moses was once again on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. In verse 28 it says this, so he was there, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So we know now that there's at least two separate times, there could have been more, but at least two, that Moses was on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights, and he was not, and he was not eating or drinking. When Moses retells this this account in Deuteronomy to the people. Deuteronomy is basically three long speeches of Moses as he's talking to Israel before they enter into the promised land, before Moses goes up to the mountain to die and Joshua brings them to the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 10, Moses is recounting this and he says, I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord listened to me. That time also the Lord was unwilling to destroy you. So, Two different occasions, he was up on the mountain for 40 days, 40, night, 40 nights. And it also says he wrote the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets again. Now, there's a big debate about who he refers to here. Is it talking about Moses or God? Be careful how you answer. Based on what you've already learned in chapter 34, is it talking about Moses or is it talking about God? I'll give you a hint. The answer is in verse 1 of chapter 34. God or Moses? It is God. Because chapter one, chap, verse 1 says what? 
Somebody read it to me. Do I have it up here? Nope. What is, what is verse? Yes, he said to, in verse 1, if you didn't hear Lyle, he said, The Lord told Moses, chisel out two stones, two tablets like the first. And God said, I will write on them just like I did the first. And again, when, when Moses is reiterating what happened in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he tells the people, I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire of the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. So yes, the answer answer is God wrote on the second tablets as well. Moses cut the tablets and he made the tablets uh, and that was because he was the one that broke them and y'all talked about that with Matt. Was it punishment? Was it you did this? There's lots of different viewpoints but it was indeed God who wrote the Ten Commandments on the second pair of tablets as well. So Moses has been with God. This is important for the rest of the chapter. He's been with God for 40 days, 40 nights. Now, this isn't the first time that Moses had been with God. We just said he'd gone up and down, up and down, uh, up and down the mountain. It wasn't the first time, but it was the first time that God did something for Moses that he had not done before. Do you remember what it was when you talked about it with, you talked about it with Evan and with Matt? What did God do? What did Moses ask for this time that he hadn't asked for before? To see his glory. And what did God do? He said, I'm going to put you in a cleft of rock. I'm going to pass by. I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to show you my, my back, basically, is what he said. Now, that was the first time that that had happened. Moses saw his glory as he passed before him. Now, being in the very presence of God and God's glory, we find out next that Moses had been changed. It says in verse 29, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he come down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now, it's very, very interesting to me. When Moses comes down the mountain... His face is, a lot of different translations, glowing or rays of light were emanating from his face. Uh, shining is a good translation. It's shown. He's coming from his face. Uh, there have been a lot of depictions and drawings and paintings of what this might have looked like. But the text really never tells us. It never tells us what it actually looked like. In fact, I'm going to geek out on you right here with some Bible translation stuff. So if this causes your eyes to glass over, just, just give me three or four minutes and then come back to me and we'll start talking about it again. There's a long history of two very different translations of the word shown here in these verses, as in Moses' face shone or shined. It's not the normal Hebrew word for light or shining or, or those kind. It's, it's a Hebrew word that the only other time it's used in the Bible is in Psalm 69:31, which talks about, which is it's translated horns. So it, there it means the horns of a, of a bull or an ox. 
And so in, in the fourth century, there was this man named Jerome, and he translated the Bible uh, into Latin. It's called the Latin Vulgate. And uh, he, uh, unlike people before him, he used the Hebrew text to translate the Old Testament into Latin. And here in the Latin translation, he said, and Moses did not know, but his face had horns. In, okay, maybe that's not as cool to y'all as it is to me. I don't care. And the Latin Vulgate, I don't know if you know the history of the Latin Bible, but it became the standard Bible for a thousand years. Like Roman Catholic Church and I mean just everybody used the Latin Vulgate. So much so that it was the Bible. Like it was the it was the be all end all. You know, they, a lot of King James people today that say King James is the only Bible. There were Lots and lots of people saying the Latin Vulgate is the only Bible. And so all through the Middle Ages, this, this translation was so influential that you have paintings and you have art from the time of the Middle Ages showing Moses with horns. Have you ever seen that, a painting like that? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah? You want to see, it? You want to see another one? Yeah. This is Michelangelo's Moses. You, you want to think it's like Neptune or something, right? But it's early 1500s. Michelangelo sculpted Moses. I think this is for someone's tomb or someone's you know, grave or something like that. It's very ornate. Took him a lot, a lot of years to do it. But he, he sculpts Moses with horns. Why? Because his translation of the Bible, the Latin Bible, which was super important through the Middle Ages, said, and his face had horns. And, and so um, this... The Hebrew word indeed is obscure, and it does say horns in Psalm 69. The reason why I do think it is shown or shined or emanated or anything, you know, those translations, it was light coming from his face. The reason why I think that, the reason why I think that is because 200 years before Christ, there were a bunch of Jewish scholars that translated the Hebrew into Greek. They translated the Old Testament into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Anybody ever heard that name? Okay. And that's the Bible the apostles used. If you ever wonder why when you're looking in your New Testament and you see a citation of an Old Testament passage and the citation doesn't exactly match what your Old Testament says, that's because the apostles always quoted the Septuagint, not the Hebrew. And our text is translated from the Hebrew. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Jewish scholars that translated the Hebrew into Greek used the word glory. Moses' face gloried. And they were afraid to come near him. And so that's what Paul Paul's uses the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, the glory that's shown on Moses' face, he says. And that's why it's correctly, it is correctly translated as shown or shined or, you know, light coming from his face. So, a little geeky moment there. Just, if you didn't care, just pass by that. Yes, Susan. He puts a veil over his face. <laughs> that's a good. That's actually a good point. She said that in. We're going to talk about this later in the text. He puts a veil on his face, and then we're we're going to go to Second Corinthians three and talk about what Paul says about the veil. Um, but 
a veil's not going to cover your horns. It's going to cover your glowing face. And so that's why it's probably, probably a good translation. That, I, I can't argue with that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So what Moses' face was doing was reflecting the glory of God. And that's why, I mean, Moses didn't come down from the presence of God with horns on his head. He came down with the presence of God because he had been in the presence of the glory of God. He was, his face was reflecting the glory of God. And so because he had been in God's presence, Moses, his face showed it all over him. He had been with God. He'd been with God for 40 days, 40 nights. Um, and when the people saw him, there was absolutely no doubt in their mind, this man has been with God. And when they saw God's glory reflected on his face, they were terrified. What do you think they're afraid of? I mean, besides the fact that a glowing dude's coming down the mountain. Yeah, yeah, that God had tried to, God had said to Moses, I'm going to destroy them. And they were worried about the judgment that would come or what, what he was bringing. It convicted them of their sin, for sure, for sure. I mean, think about this. Remember, why was Moses going back up the mountain again? Remember? Huh? Well, because he broke the tablets. But he said, I'm going back up to intercede with you. Maybe, you know, perhaps God will spare you. They were at the base of the mountain. You know, they were, they were down there waiting to hear God's verdict on what would happen to them. You know, waiting to hear what God would say about their sin and about what God would do now. And if this whole trip to the promised land is still going to happen, you know, and... And the first thing they see is Moses approaching, shining with this glory, shining with this light. Their mediator, the one who had previously thrown down the tablets and had 3,000 of them killed for their wickedness in all their revelry and all that they were doing at the base of the mountain. Now he's coming down to tell us what God said and this glory is upon him, this shine, this radiance is upon him. They could only guess what their fate would be. And yes, I think their sin faced with the, the glory of God, even the reflection of the glory of God, their sin convicted them. They were terrified. They got a sense of God's holiness. They got a sense of their sin. They understood what they deserved and what very well be, could be coming as this, this man filled with the radiance of God, showing the radiance of God, was walking down the mountain toward them. Uh, they understood what they deserved. And they, I'm sure that they feared the judgment that was coming. You remember the first time Moses went up the mountain? Remember what the people said when he was gone for too long? What did they say? Yeah. We don't know what's happened to not Moses, not our mediator, not our leader, this fellow. You remember that? Yeah. They, they basically dismissed his leadership. They wanted Aaron to lead them. They wanted Aaron to build them a, a god, an idol, a golden calf, whatever. But now, see, Moses is coming down the mountain, and they could see for themselves, this man's been with God. This man's accepted by God. It showed all over his face. 
You know the same thing's true today for us? Not exactly, but same thing's true. When you've been with the Lord, studying, reading, praying, meditating on Scripture, it shows. It shows in your life. You say, I know you're going to say, well, my face doesn't glow like Moses did. No, you're right. But his glory shows in us in an even greater way than if your face was shining. I'm going to show that to you in a minute. Hold on to that thought. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Good. So Moses called them over in order to tell them what God had said. They didn't want to get near him, so he called them over. Verse 31 says, But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. What are some of the things Moses probably told them? Come on, that's an easy one. Well, of course, no more idols. He probably reiterated the Ten Commandments. Yes, ma'am. I think he told them also that they were murmuring and complaining to people. He probably told them they were murmuring and complaining. Uh, I wouldn't doubt that. He told them all that God had told him. What, what did God tell Moses on the mount? Come on, guys. That's easy. Y'all just want me to lecture you? I mean, I'd be happy to. I can talk for a long time. I'm trying to include you in the discussion. Just all the stuff. How about all the stuff we've been walking through for the past five chapters? Separate and holy people? Yeah. Finally, the people hear what God is going to do to them because of their sin. What did he say to Moses I'm going to do to them? Now, well, that is what he said, but Moses interceded, and then God reinstated the covenant, and he said, I'm going to bring you to the land. I'm going to drive the people out before you. I'm going to forgive their sin, even though they weren't worthy of it, and neither are we. He wasn't going to abandon them. He was going to reinstate the covenant. God was going to forgive them, bring them into the land. Moses uh, probably told them about God restoring the covenant. Maybe he told them the Ten Commandments again. Promises that God gave Moses. And no doubt he repeated probably all the commands that would keep Israel from falling into idolatry again when they got into the land. But he also told them about the building of the tabernacle. See, for us, it seems like such a long time ago that God said all that stuff because we're studying this thing chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter, and it's taking a long time. Remember, Moses hasn't told the people the instructions for building the tabernacle yet. That's what God told Moses, and when he got down from the mountain, they were worshiping the golden calf, and then all of this stuff happened. So he gives them all of the instructions, all of the things that God said to Moses on the mountain. And so what you have here in this picture is God's glorified mediator giving God's word of salvation to God's people, which is a picture of, come on, anybody? Jesus. Ah, that's right. All right, I'm glad we got that one. Jesus, that's right. And then, as Susan pointed out, and this is probably where we're going to spend most of our time tonight, um, we read something that is very, very strange. Because his face was shining, because it was radiant, because it was glorying, uh, as the writer puts it, Moses puts a veil over his face. Verse 33 through 35, which is the last verses we're going to look at, but we're going to talk about it quite a bit. 
It says, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, after he told them all that God had said, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face was shining. He didn't put the veil back on when he came out to tell them what God said. And Moses would put the veil over his face again, presumably after he told them what God said, and he would leave it on until he went in to speak with God again. This is a... This, this, I, from the text, it looks like this became the common practice. Moses continually went in to meet with the Lord, went out, you know, every time they stopped in the tabernacle, the glory cloud came down, Moses would go in to speak with God, come back out, tell Israel, Israel what they said, all through this time. So evidently this was this common practice that he would take the veil off when he would go in to be with the Lord and then he'd leave it off when he would telling people uh, what God had said and gave them the word of God, his face shone as he proclaimed the word of God, and then he would put it back on and leave it on, presumably, until the next time that he went in to be with the Lord. So from this time forth, the people would always see the glory of God reflected in the face of their mediator. So there shouldn't, there was, but there shouldn't be any more doubt that that Moses was God's prophet. Moses was God's mediator, God's man, God's spokesman. Now we'll see in, in subsequent books, they did doubt Moses again. But God was proving, God was showing in Moses' own face as he gave the word of God to people that this was God's spokesman, God's prophet. Now it's been a debate for ages, but why does Moses put the veil over his face? What do you think? I, I, I don't have a, I, I got what I think and it's based on what Paul says, but I don't have a perfect answer. There's a lot of people with a lot of different answers. Why do you think he put, yes? Did this uh, go away finally go away? I mean, did it glow forever? <laughs> she asked if it ever went away and did it glow forever. There is, there is a way to translate what Paul says. Uh, that says that Paul says in first in Second Corinthians three, which we're going to read here in just a minute, uh, that the glory was fading. The glory was fading until he went back in. Uh, the other way, the way the ESV puts it, it seems like he's saying the glory of the old covenant was coming to an end. So um, I don't have a problem seeing that the glory faded over time until he went back into the Lord because. That's, that's, that could be a valid way that Paul means that the glory was coming to an end. Yeah. Yes. And you're saying that each time you went back in to speak to the Lord, the shining got stronger again? We don't know for sure, but based on what Paul says, that is one interpretation. So... I mean, we'll, we'll read that in a minute. We'll talk about it then. But what does that teach us today? What does it teach us today? Where do we see the glory of God in the face of a mediator? Jesus. <laughs> okay, Jesus. Yes. Face of Jesus Christ. But there is a huge difference between Moses shining with God's glory and Jesus' glory. What is it? 
How did Moses get glory, shining face? By reflecting the glory of God. Where was Jesus' glory from? From himself. Yeah, that's right. Moses' glory was a reflection of the glory. He was in the presence of God's glory and therefore reflected that because it shone on his face. And Jesus, you know, his glory was inherent in who he was. Moses' glory was a reflection of the glory of God. And we're going to see here in a moment in Paul's writings that Paul tells us that 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 glory is also reflected by us. And we'll see that in a minute. But Jesus' glory was inherent in who he is. His glory came from himself. It was his own glory. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And as Hebrews tells us, Jesus is the greater Moses, the fulfillment of all those things. Moses went up the mountain, went up Mount Sinai to see God's glory, and he came down reflecting it. Jesus went up the Mount of Transfiguration to reveal his true glory. He was reflecting nothing. He was showing who he was. It's his true glory. And the clearest application of what this means for us, I think, comes from the Apostle Paul. We've been talking about the whole time, so let's just read it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're told that because we are part of the new covenant in Christ, number one, we have witnessed more glory than Moses ever saw. And we reflect more glory than Moses ever did. So what I want to do is I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. It's quite a big chunk of scripture because this is where Paul's talking about this. And then we'll see his summation, his conclusion in verses 17 and 18. And then we'll talk about that. Okay, y'all with me? Okay. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. Now, if the ministry of death, he's talking about the law that brings death. If the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. That's why some translate, which was fading away. You know, that's why. The, so there's a question as to whether the glory on Moses' face was fading away or whether it was the ministry of death, the law that was coming to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? He says, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, once again, the law, which condemns, the ministry of righteousness, which is the gospel, must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, the law, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it, the gospel greater than the law. For if what was being brought to an end, or fading away, came with glory... Much more will what is permanent have glory. Gospel is permanent. Since we, now he talks to the, the Corinthian Christians, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, and look at this, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. I think, and this is just an opinion, I could be wrong, I think... Paul interprets Exodus 34 as Moses being timid about the glory that shone on his face. So he put a veil on. That's why he says we are bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. I'm not going to die on that hill. That's just, that's just what I think. There are a lot of other interpretations. He says we're bold. Uh, and 
because he put a veil over his face uh, for what was being brought to an end. But, in, but their minds, he's talking about the Jews, were hardened for to this day. When they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now here's where the application for all that Paul has said. I hope you've been following. I know it's kind of a dense argument. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We've heard that many times from Paul. And we all, look at it, with unveiled face, look what we're doing. Beholding the glory of the Lord, and what is the glory of the Lord doing to us, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. You see what he's saying there? I know it's a very dense argument. It's hard to follow. Um, Paul is teaching that any person that knows God through the salvation of Jesus Christ first has much more glory than Moses, has seen the glory of God in a greater way than Moses ever did. And he, and he reflects the glory of God uh, in a greater way than Moses did when he came down the mountain. We're going to God with unveiled face. The gospel, he says through this, through this section, the gospel is more glorious because through the gospel, we don't just behold the presence of God as Moses did, we're indwelled with the presence of God. And he doesn't transform our appearance on the outside as he did with Moses. The glory reflected from Moses' face. He transforms us from the inside out to show forth his glory, to reflect his glory. And this transformation is permanent. This glory is never fading. This glory lasts forever. In fact, Paul says... It grows from one degree of glory to the next. And we're going to grow more and more glorious in the sense that we're reflecting more and more of God's glory until we are fully and finally glorified completely with Him in the new age to come. And he says all this, he says all this as we... Behold the glory. As we behold the glory of the Lord, the Lord Jesus is who he's talking about. As we behold the glory of the Lord, remember, as Moses was beholding the glory as it passed by, as we behold the glory of the Lord Jesus, we're being transformed by it. From glory to an even greater glory to an even greater glory to an even greater glory. What's he talking about there? That transformation that's taking place? Sanctification. sanctification. That is exactly right. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to those who've been... We are transformed by the gospel. New heart. Spirit comes to dwell in us. But as we behold the glory of Christ, we're being changed by the glory of Christ. We're being changed in heart we're being renewed in mind, and we are walking in a more um, God-honoring way, which reflects the glory of God to all of those around us. And that's why our constant refrain as the church should be, look to Jesus. 
Behold Jesus. Behold who He is. Behold what He has done. Behold what He's accomplished. When trials are in, go, th- go through life and with trials, suffering, when, you know, um, all kind of issues. You, you've heard me say it over and over again. The gospel is the foundation. The gospel is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Look to Him. Uh, cast your cares upon Him. Look at what He's done for you. Recognize who you are in Him. Recognize what God says about you and the promises made to you through Him. Jesus is the answer. We're transformed as we behold Him. So here's the question. How do we behold the glory of Jesus? Prayer, yes. What else? His Word, yes. Worship and praise, yes. Well, of course, accepting his salvation, being transformed by, by salvation. I don't think we can, I don't think we, we're not being transformed until we have been transformed, for sure. We're not being sanctified until we've been justified, that's true. Putting on the full armor of God. Putting on the armor of God as we fight in this spiritual battle against the world, the flesh, the devil. Trusting in Jesus. One of, the, one of the pieces of armor that nobody ever talks about is all prayer. It's at the end. It says, our, helmet, right, breastplate of righteousness, shoes shot of the gospel, and, and all prayer. You know? What else? Okay. I agree with you. What do you mean by that? Staying in his presence to hear him speak. Yeah, that's, a, that's good. She said, lingering in his presence long enough to hear him speak, not just throwing out all my prayer requests. So you understand, when we talk about, right now we're in the middle of, uh, and I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how ready I am to start Hebrews and to get out of all this and to go back to verse by verse. I mean, this is, it's tough. It's tough not to go verse by verse. But we've been talking about worship, connect, serve, and growing, and all, all those things. And when we talk about worship in your prayer life, in your Bible study time, in your devotion time with God, in your spiritual disciplines, you know, so often people come to me, people have come to me in the last three weeks as we've talked about it, and, and they, they talk about how I, I just read, I read the Bible and I spend time in the Bible and I just, I just, I don't know who the Amalekites are and I don't know who the, the Zebusites are and I don't know what's happening and, you know, and I understand and it shocks people to know, you know, sometimes in my devotion time and my time with the Lord, um, just for myself, not to prepare sermons, you know, there's a lot of things I don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't know. And in my time with the Lord, I'm not going to take time and go pop open all of my commentaries and dictionaries and all that stuff to figure out all the things. Sometimes you just read. When, when, you, when you're reading, you're, you don't take it out of context, of course. But some, when you're reading in your devotion time and when you're praying and... The point is not for you to gain knowledge. That's going to happen because you're reading God's Word and you're learning about God's Word. And the point is for you to spend time with God. Let God speak to you. Let God speak to your heart. Let God uh, just dwell in His presence. You know, when you come to worship, you know, I know that we've got a blended service. You know, Dave sang three hymns Sunday morning. So, I mean, there's a lot of hymns being sung, but, you know, we kind of go back and forth a little bit with all the music. And sometimes the music ain't to your liking. Sometimes the music ain't to my liking. But 
our purpose here is not to sing songs we know. It's to spend time in the presence of God, giving him the adoration and praise that he deserves. It's that we might linger, as um, uh, it was said, to linger in his presence because we behold the glory of the Lord as we, um, as we dwell with him, walk with him, converse with him, live with him. Live in his presence. And so we behold the Lord in all of those things that you mentioned. In prayer, in Bible study, in fellowship with one another, in worship, in praise, in, in all of the spiritual disciplines. There's a bunch of them. You can name, you know, from fasting to solitude to... I mean, there's lots and lots of spiritual disciplines. Lots of ways that we can get into the presence of God. Quiet our soul. Quiet our lives. Uh, just push everything out and just concentrate, focus on our God and listen to him speak. And you know, let me say one other thing while I'm on a roll here and I'm interrupting everybody and y'all ain't talking. Uh, there are sometimes what, what I do in my, my devotion time is at, at night I'm laying in the bed and I have, I have Bible reading playing on my iPad. I go, I read a, a through the year, you know, I read the Bible through the year, but in the last couple of years, I've started cutting it in half and reading it in two years because I, you read in one year and you're reading four chapters a night, there's a good chance that you're, you're not going to glean a lot from this big, huge chunk that you've just read. So the last couple of years, I've been reading it in two years. And I, I'll just, I just read. And I'm laying in bed, so I don't have no resources. I don't have no books. I don't have no dictionaries, commentaries, Greek lexicons. I don't have none of that stuff. I just read. And I say, God, speak to me. You know, God, tell me what you would have me to know. And I want to tell you something. Some nights, especially, you know, I was reading through Leviticus 13 a couple of weeks ago. And it's all about lepers and sores and white and red patches and all that stuff. I didn't get a whole lot from God, I don't think, you know, but it's not about, it's not about that. It's about me feeding my soul with God's word. If God wants to speak to me, he's going to speak to me through that word. And you, I, I can't count the times that I have been just going about my day and something happened or something was going on or somebody needed counseling or, or just something. And God brought the very scriptures I had been reading to mind and saying, this applies. God will, all you have to worry about is feeding it to yourself. God will bring it out when it's time. God will bring it to your remembrance. God will show you what, what that's for. So I don't know how my body digests food, but I know I need it. So there are some times when I'm reading the word, especially in those um, obscure minor prophets and some of the legal language in Leviticus and those kind of things where I think, you know, I, I don't know what it's for, but I know that it's, it's needed. So it's not just about, you know, don't think because you don't know enough or you don't know, you know, you don't know who all the Amalites and all that, all that stuff is. That, that reading your Bible is, is a useless endeavor for you. It's not. It's feeding on the Word of God, listening to God speak, and He will speak to you. Have I told you my story about Him speaking to my heart when I was having heart issues? Yeah, I bet I have. You just don't remember. <laughs> I want you to listen to this, and don't, you can take me the wrong way, and this can be taken the wrong way, so be careful and make sure you hear what I'm trying to tell you. So when I was about 32, I had a heart problem, like a serious, you know, oh no, we don't know what's going to happen problem. And it turned out to be nothing, praise God for that. 
Uh, but I was going through all these tests, stress tests and, and dye and all, all this stuff they were doing. And they put me in this machine and they pumped dye through my veins so they could watch it go around all through the stuff. And I'm in this, and I'm terribly claustrophobic. And I'm in this machine and it's beep beep and grinding and all this crazy loud noise. And I'm just stuck in there. And this panic attack came over me. I mean, like, it was, it was, I mean, it was just full-on freak out. You know, it wasn't just uncomfortable. I mean, it was like I was fixing to start kicking and screaming and getting, you know, and I'm a 32-year-old man. And so I was just, I mean, I was fixing to lose it. And all of a sudden, nobody was in the room. The, the person was over on the other side of the glass thing. All of a sudden, this verse popped into my mind. For no reason at all, it said, it's the verse that says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, or through prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God. And then, the peace that passes understanding, listen to it, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, this peace came over me. Now, I know... 100% for fact that Paul did not mean you're not going to have no heart problems. <laughs> that text does not mean that. And that's not a correct interpretation and that's not the right context, but it just came to my mind and it brought peace. And I'm going to tell you what, God will bring these, these verses that you read, even if you don't memorize them or you're not intentionally memorizing, he'll bring it back. I read that. I remember that. And it, it, God will speak to you in that way. Y'all with me? Okay. So that's how we behold him. That's how we behold Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Through our time with Christ, through our worship, through our discipleship with one another, through our serving. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about serving Sunday. Through our worship in devotion, in our personal worship, prayer, and spiritual disciplines, all those things. And as we are being transformed, yeah, you also radiate God's glory. You don't radiate it from the outside like Moses did. You're not going to be walking around glowing. And if you are, you're probably going to scare some people. But you can tell who's been with God. You can tell who spent time with the Lord because they radiate God's glory from the inside out. And people can tell if you've been with God. Because we are being transformed in this new covenant from one degree of glory to another. To another as the Spirit sanctifies us. Questions, comments? Yes. So your final answer on why Moses wore the veil was because he was timid? The same no. Moses who left the mountain and That doesn't sound like a question. That sounds like an argument. <laughs> no, that's not my final argument that Moses was timid. My argument was, it seems as if Paul is saying, we are with unveiled... No, let me back up. In that verse, it says... Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. And that's why it could be that Paul is, in, Paul is interpreting it as his timid. Or it could be that, I mean, what other interpretation could, would you say from Paul's words? Yes, Jonathan. Well, I think that Paul was just saying, I'm not 
Who asked? Say that again. Moses asked for a speaker because. Oh, when he was called. Yeah, Moses said, I can't do it. I'm not a good speaker. Send somebody else. Send somebody else. So, listen, the debate on why Moses put a veil over his face is huge. There are a lot of different theories. He didn't want to frighten the people when he was talking to them, but yet he did wear it when he was telling them God's word. He didn't want to look different as he moved around in the camp other than when he was speaking God's word. Uh, Of course, there's people that say he was timid, and that's what Paul brings out, what they think Paul brings out. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of theories as to why. Bottom line, the text in Exodus doesn't tell us why he did it. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, it does say they were afraid to come near him, and that's why people say. Some say, and, and to be fair, I don't know the right answer. I don't know. We're not told, but because they were afraid to come near him, some think that he put the veil on so that they wouldn't be scared all the time. It's possible. It is possible. I'm not dying on that hill. Whatever, I mean, we're we're not told. I'm going to try to be silent where the Bible's silent. Any other questions, comments? This may be, I'm going to read through the last five chapters of Exodus over the next week, uh, but this may be the last look at Exodus because, like I said, the last five chapters are just a big repeat. I thought about taking the end where it says, and the glory filled the temple and, and kind of doing one on that. Just Any, any idea what y'all want to do next? You want to do Leviticus? <laughs> uh, we ready to get away from all the laws, aren't we? Yeah, we're ready to get in some of them. Yeah, uh, we're going to do Obadiah. It's one chapter. <laughs> or two chapters. I don't remember how many chapters. Okay, well, let's pray then. Father, we do love you, God, and we thank you. And once again, God, we pray that you would uh, be with the turmoil in the world, that you would uh, that you'd bring peace to Israel, peace to Jerusalem, God, but you would also, um, that you would also bring justice for the uh, existential threat that they've suffered. God, I pray that you would um, be with us as we read your word and we study your word. We desire to reflect your glory. We desire to glorify your name. We desire to, um, to honor you in all that we do. And we desire to grow as your disciples. God, we do love you. And we just pray that you would be with us and that you would go with us and, and bring us back at the appointed time Sunday to worship your name in spirit and truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.